We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me back from vacation, Justin Mello. How was it, my friend? How are you doing? I'm back. I'm back. It was amazing, man. Two weeks in Portugal. I had an amazing time. Ten of us went, so it was a big family vacation. It was incredible. To our listeners, if you were hoping to tune in and see Mike Herndon filling in for me again, I'm sorry. You're probably disappointed. (laughs) Um, But I'm back. Mike is back. I don't want to say he's on the bench because, you know, first of all, he's six foot eight. So he's always in the game at all times. We need a rebound. (laughs) We need a block. Mike's in the game, but I'm back five foot, five foot eight. All five foot eight of me is back replacing Mike in the Music City Audible starting lineup. It's a terrible decision, but here I am. Yes, well, we're we're thrilled to have you back. Thanks again to Mike for joining last week. If you missed that episode, it's just one up in the podcast feed to check it out. Um, And before we get too far into this, I just want to remind everyone, we need you. We need you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are growing faster than I expected, honestly. We're over 360 subscribers now as of this recording. We got some good content up there. I I had to hold it down while you were out, Justin, so we got a Ryan Tannehill... Ryan Tannehill, the most underrated quarterback in the league, video up. Traylon Burke set to break out in year two, video up. So if you are just an audio listener, head over to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash at Music City Audible Podcast. Check out those videos and check out what we got going on over there because we're excited to keep growing the YouTube channel. But let's get into today's show. We got a lot to cover because, again, we haven't taped a pod since last Monday. We haven't taped a pod together in over two weeks and uh, training camp started while you were gone. Since our last pod, training camp has started. We're a bunch of practices in now. We're into week two. They're already in pads. So um, we're going to split this into two parts. We're going to do a part one episode looking at the news. Lots of signings, lots of contract details that have come up. Punt returner, kick returner competition. We're going to get into all that. Then tomorrow, we're going to have a part two episode coming out where we're looking at stock up, stock down so far in training camp. Who is making a name for themselves? Who is looking like they may not make the roster? Who are guys that we didn't expect to be making the roster that have a lot better chance now? We're going to do that conversation tomorrow. Let's start, though, with the news now. The Titans have signed an offensive tackle. We were harping on it for months. They finally did it. It wasn't the guy that we expected. So George Fant came in for a visit, left without a contract. He actually went and signed with the Texans. We'll get to that in a second. The other guy that was there during the George Fant visit was Chris Hubbard. Chris Hubbard has signed with the Titans. It's a one-year contract with uh, Nicholas Petitfrier suspended for the first six games. The Titans need an answer at right tackle. But Chris Hubbard's definitely a guy that's going to come in and compete for that starting right tackle job. If he doesn't win it, he's going to serve as a lot better depth at either tackle position than the Titans have had on the roster up to this point. It's a one-year deal, but we don't have the contract number. We don't know the salary yet, so we're still waiting for that to be released. I imagine it's less than what George Fant got, which, again, we'll get to in a second, or else the Titans would have just signed George Fant. But I think that his um, asking price was out of the Titans' range, so they go to their fallback plan, which was Chris Hubbard. He's been in camp already working with the guys at the first team, uh, first and second team, I guess, mixing in and out. What do you make of this signing for the Titans? Well, he's a veteran journeyman, right? He's, he's played some tackle. He's played some guard. He's got a fair amount of experience under his belt. 
Um, most of that experience, uh, sorry, not a lot of it's come recently um, is what I'm trying to say. He's been essentially a reserve guy, hasn't played a lot of football lately, but he has played you know, a lot of football throughout his career. Um, I think all Titans fans were probably a little disappointed, right? In all honesty, they were all hoping for George Fant. They were pushing a pretty hard bargain there. I, I think you have to get the impression that the Titans weren't that impressed with Fant's workout. I would assume, and I am kind of, I'm, I'm grasp. I don't want to say I'm grasping at straws, but I don't want. I'm not reporting that uh, either. Is what I want to make clear. But it just feels like you said we'd get to it, but I'm just going to get into it right now. Uh, <laughs> the fan deal in Houston, uh, one year deal worth up to four million. So obviously, the the full four million can only be earned through incentives, right? That's what that language tells you. That doesn't sound that expensive to me. In all honesty, yeah. right? What's the base? Is it two and a half million? Is two it three million, million base, two point seven five million cap hit for the season. I think the Titans could have afforded that if they wanted to. That's exactly my point, right? Like it's not like they, the Titans almost made it sound like fans asking price was they balked at it. It's not that much, right? So yeah. that tells me if you're not willing to pay that, you probably weren't that impressed with his workout, right? Uh, the one plus one equals two. Again, I'm not reporting that. I don't know that for a fact. But it just, you know, when I saw the terms in Houston, I think everyone sort of had this collective, oh, like, oh, that's what they didn't want to pay? Like, it wasn't, doesn't seem totally unreasonable. And and you said they would have just signed George Fant. And although I, I, I tend to agree with you, I wouldn't rule out the possibility. Maybe they were more impressed by Chris Hubbard's workout, right, yeah, than, than George Fant's possible. workout. We, we don't know, right? So, uh, but it'll be interesting once we get the Hubbard numbers. I imagine they will be significantly lower than the fat numbers, but I am curious to see what the difference is there. And I am curious to see how Hubbard fits into this rotation and, and onto this roster, because I, for one, and I don't, I don't think this is a hot take, but I'm not convinced right now that he makes the 53 man roster. Oh, wow. I would say he's, I would put a fair amount of money on the fact that he will make the roster. I, I thought you were going to say you wouldn't put, you wouldn't bet on him winning the starting right tackle job, which I wouldn't either, you know, for the first six games at least. I think that this is, I mean, he's going to be a guy that you can count on for experience. And that's the one thing that the Titans tackle depth is lacking more than anything. Like all these UDFA type guys, sixth round draft pick guy, rookies, like no one has really any NFL experience. Like they're all really young, unproven guys, which, you know, maybe you find a diamond in the rough in a scenario like that, but Having someone that has at least played a lot of football, been in the league, Hubbard is, what, a nine-year veteran. He's 32 years old. Like, this is a guy that has seen a lot of football and at least having that, you know, voice in the tackle room. Because even Andre Dillard's a young guy. You don't have a Taylor Lewan around anymore. He's, like, you don't have a Ben Jones. He's in that offensive line room. It's a really young room now, and it wasn't for a long time in Nashville. They had a bunch of veterans. So I would say that he probably sticks on the roster, at least as a swing tackle, but let me be clear about what I mean in case. Sorry. And I, I don't think I was unclear, but let me be clear. I like, if you were to tell me what are the chances you think he makes the roster, my personal opinion right now, I put it at like 55, 60%. So I, I like push come to shove. I do think he'll probably make it, but it's not a very convincing number, right? That's how I feel. Cause my question is, can you keep him Jalen Duncan and um, the rookie UDFA kid from Boise State. Can you keep all three of them on the 53-man roster? And maybe you can, but if you can't, 
I don't know for sure which one of them goes in all honesty, right? Because I get what you're saying, like the experience, the depth. I also think he's played a little guard and maybe you'll have time to correct me if I'm wrong. And if he if he has, that's help that'll help. That'll help his chances because you know that that versatility helps a lot, especially when it comes to reserve linemen. But can you keep those three guys? That's my question. Because don't forget, a lot of, you know, as much as NFL teams value experience and depth, and they do, they also value upside, right? Like, so do they cut Jalen Duncan over him when, you know, Chris Hubbard is already, you know, he is what he is, right? Whereas Jalen Duncan, if you cut him, there's a chance, you know, you get, he goes elsewhere and develops, right? The kid from Boise State, uh, if you cut him, and Vrabel lit up when talking about him, right? That's the interesting part of this. Vrabel yeah, lit John up when talking Jukwu. about that kid. So, are you willing to cut those guys in favor of keeping a 32-year-old veteran journeyman who's already reached his performance ceiling? He's probably on his, you know, coming on his way down, right? In all honesty, at that that's age. Fair. So I think that's what gives me pause of guaranteeing that he makes a 53-man roster. Is there a way where you get all three of them on the roster, or are you willing to cut Duncan um, or the Boise State kid in order to keep him? And I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced that that's the case. Yeah, Hubbard's played mostly right tackle throughout his career. In the 2020 season, he started the year as a reserve, and he got in for 224 snaps at right guard. There you um, go. He only played 62 snaps at right tackle and four snaps at left tackle. So almost his ent- the entire season that he actually so, was on the field that year, he was a guard. So he does have that experience. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too much into this conversation, but I do want to say the last time I looked at doing a 53-man roster projection. I just pulled it up because I wrote it down in my phone. Um, I had them keeping nine. Mm-hmm. And I actually did have um, – I haven't published this yet, but I do have Duncan, Hubbard, and the Boise State kid all on the 53-man roster. So I guess I answered my own question where I think it's possible that they can keep all three. The guy that I ended up um, cutting from my initial projection – um, before they signed Hubbard was Jordan Roos because I had uh-huh. Jordan Roos as the ninth lineman, um, my ninth and final, and I had him obviously as a guard, right? He's exclusively a guard. So if you do feel Hubbard can play guard, which he does have some experience, I think that's the way you probably get him, Duncan, and uh, Ajoku, all, all three of them on the 53 roster. Yeah, I think that that's probably the the case there. So anyway, that's um that's the Chris Hubbard update. And we wrapped George Fant into that nicely. While we're on the subject of contracts, we finally got the DeAndre Hopkins mm. contract breakdown. And I've been trying to talk about this on this podcast for like two weeks, three weeks now. <laughs> and they just took forever to get the numbers out. So it was a two-year, $26 million deal, right, with incentives that could push it up to $32 million. But what's interesting about this deal, 2023 base salary, $1.16 million. Cap hit, 2023. $3.68 million. And he didn't even get that big of a signing bonus, $1.9 million signing bonus. He does get $12 million in cash this year. Well, how is that possible, you ask? Because the Titans added three void years to this deal. So in 2024, the cap hit jumps up to $15.9 million. The base salary jumps up to $8.2 million. And then there are three void years, 2025, 2026, 2027, where the uh, the cap hits which will be, you know, essentially dead cap hits in each of those years are 5.8 million, 1.9 million and 1.9 million again um, in 2027. So the contract is only a two year deal, but it runs through 2027 in terms of how it affects the salary. But really next year is the only year that it has a big that he has a big cap hit. And if he, you know, shows that he's not doesn't have it anymore, that he's aging out, that he's washed, as the kids would say, you (laughs) could cut him next year. 
and save eight million. So you would have a dead cap of seven point eight uh, next year if if he's not on the roster. I think he has a roster bonus that guarantees on the second day of the league year twenty twenty four. So if he's not on the team or if he's not gonna be on the team next year, we will know it in March of next season. And if you know he, he makes it past that second day of the league year, then that roster bonus kicks in. The dead cap would jump. So we'll know basically if DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a Titan in 2024 in March and uh, sort of the way the Julio Jones situation worked out with the Titans. But I, I, I don't know. From what I've seen at training camp and everything so far, and I don't have Hopkins in our stock up, stock down section of this podcast, so we can just kind of talk about him here a little bit. Stock would be up if he's in because he looks healthy. He's out there practicing. He's been making plays. He's connecting with Tannehill in red zone drills, in team periods. You know, his name's constantly being reported. Apparently, uh, Mike Herndon said on Twitter the other day that him and Traylon Burks have been inseparable on the practice field, constantly talking, you know, and, and like Burks is trying to soak up everything he can from Hopkins. The two of them together with Tannehill have been like throwing on a side field during special teams periods. Like he has been everything that you could want as a three-time all-pro receiver and more so far for the Titans. Now, obviously, it's a long season. You got to stay healthy, yada, yada, yada. But from what we've seen so far, Hopkins is proving to be, uh, you know, everything that you could have hoped for, I think. And I want to add, you said we'll know, and I get what you meant, obviously, but you said we'll know the second day of the league year in March if Hopkins will be on the team or not. We'll know way before then, right? Because I think you'll be able to form a, a very accurate, educated guess based on his performances in 2023. Um, we covered some of this contract details, I believe, on the last pod we did together, but some of those are new details. Yeah. The only thing I want to add um, to that conversation is that this was a masterful job by Rand Carthon, in my opinion. That contract sets up so beautifully, in my opinion. It looks great. Uh, the, all the void years, keeping the cap hit low this year. And yes, it, it raises you know next year, but again, you might not be paying Ryan Tannehill next year. You might not be paying Derrick Henry next year. You might not be paying, you know, Dina Kowatri, I believe, who's also entering a contract year this year. So right now the Titans are projected to have a ton of cap space next offseason. And if they don't bring those veterans back into the fold, A, that means they're going to have, you know, a, a young quarterback who's still on a rookie contract making next to nothing to the point where you won't give a damn that you're paying DeAndre Hopkins that money. Because in all honesty, you're not really paying anyone else. Yes, you know, you still have got, you know, Harold Landry's on an expensive deal and uh, you can, you know, handpick a few others, but you're not paying an expensive left tackle. You're not paying an expensive right tackle. You won't be paying an expensive quarterback or a running back, right? And again, that's all, some of this is projection, right? It it depends what they do with Tannehill and Henry, but I think all of us have have sort of operated under the sense where this might be their final year, right? In Tennessee. So the Hopkins, it's not a big deal at all. Right, if he has a great year and you're paying him next year. So we'll see how it plays out. But I do think this was a terrific job by Rand. Even as you're going through some of the new details, like, oh, you can cut him. And, you know, I'm not a contract expert guy because, you you know, when you're talking about all these void years, I do understand it. But you're talking about all these void years. It makes it sound like it would be way worse than it is, in all honesty, right? Because then you're like, oh, this is the cap hit. But if you cut him, you're still saving $8 million against the cap with a $7 mil dead cap it like that's reasonable right that's something you can do this is not a contract they can't get out of and on the surface the point i'm trying to make is when you look at what the 2023 salary is for this year right the cap hit and everything and you look at what the 2024 uh, is you may get the impression that this is a contract they can't get out of 
right? But as you continue getting into the weeds and you realize the way that it was, uh, you know, curated, so to speak, uh, it really was a job well done by Rand Carthon and I assume uh, Assistant General Manager Chad Brinker. Right. And if you want to compare it to some wide receiver contracts around the league, I just pulled up A.J. Brown's contract. A.J. Brown, uh, $12 million cap hit in 2024. DeAndre Hopkins, again, $15.9 million next year. A.J. Brown's cap hit in 2025 jumps up to $26.5 million. And there wait for go. it. 2026, A.J. Brown has a $41 million cap hit. And if they cut him, $20 million in dead cap. A.J. Brown you know would I mean? have a higher dead cap hit in the final year of his contract than the DeAndre Hopkins will have as a just a regular cap hit in the final year of his exactly contract here. I mean. So, I mean, obviously, like, A.J. Brown is a young ascending receiver and DeAndre Hopkins is in the back nine of his career, but And you the still point wish you had A.J. Like, Brown, right? Like, be clear, yeah. be clear but... But yeah, it, the the comparison here, I mean, like e, like even if you think fifteen point nine million is a lot to pay, it's not that much to pay for a top level receiver in today's NFL. So anyway, glad we got those numbers. Like you said, masterful job by Rand Carthon and the rest of the Titans executives on that one. Let's hit a few other news items. Um, I think last week uh, while you were gone, Titans signed uh, safety AJ Moore, and you and I had been talking a lot about how they needed to add a safety. We thought Josh Kalu made sense as you know potential reunion. Well, they. Reunion with a different safety, A.J. Moore, who was with them last year, got hurt, missed the most of the season with that injury. And to sign A.J. Moore, they waived James Empey, who was a UDFA center. And then just this week, I think this was on Wednesday, the Titans signed another center, Jimmy Murray, and waived UDFA wide receiver Jacob Copeland. This coming after Corey Levin missed practice on Tuesday. So Corey Levin misses practice on Tuesday. The next day they sign a center um, and they signed A.J. Moore. Your thoughts on all these moves wrapped up into one thought. Go. <laughs> yeah, I've got – well, you're probably, it's probably going to be longer than you want it to be because I've got thoughts on all of it essentially. Um, yeah, the safety thing surprised me with A.J. Moore, right? Because uh, he went on season-ending IR really early. Like I, I don't – know. like it might have even been during the preseason in all honesty. I don't know if he actually played for them – last year during the regular season and you're looking it up as I know. And if he did, it would have been like week one or week two. Like he did not factor in at September all. September 13th lands on IR with ankle injury. When was it? Moore left the Titans season opener versus the Giants on Sunday with an ankle injury and was consequently ruled out for the remainder of the 2022 season. <laughs> there you go. So it happened in week one. He essentially didn't play for them last year. I'm, that, I'm surprised, right? I think we all were surprised when that was the move they decided to make as opposed to go reuniting with Josh Kalou, as you said, who, by the way, uh, is working out for the Pittsburgh Steelers later this week. Oh, Josh Kalou is. So it's not like he's not healthy and is not getting any interest from anyone. So the timing of all that is interesting. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on them waving James Empey. I do have thoughts on adding, uh, you know, Jimmy Murray, the center. Uh, one interesting, you mentioned the Levin thing. I have the exact same thoughts. Look, a lot of times people don't realize, general fans don't realize, Sometimes this is just about getting through a, a practice, in all honesty. Like, Corey Levin is running second-team center. They waived James Empey. I don't, I don't even know who else would be running it right now, in all honesty, like, if yeah. it wasn't for adding this Jimmy Murray uh, cat. Because I, I don't think Jordan Roos plays center. I don't recall him ever playing center for them. So this is probably a matter of we need to get through practice, right? And Jimmy Murray, 
you won't remember this probably, uh, was on the Titans practice squad in 2021. So it's a, a no. semi-familiar face. It's Obviously, Rand Carthon was not the general manager then, but it is interesting that they're reuniting, reuniting with someone that they've already, they already know and they've already spent time with. Mike Vrabel obviously was the head coach when Jimmy Murray was last year. And uh, Jason, uh, uh, Coach Haas, the offensive line coach, was the assistant offensive line coach in 2021. So everyone on staff knows Jimmy Murray. They're bringing him back. Um, I, I, I would imagine it is related to Corey Levin's absence from practice. Final thoughts on all these moves, the cutting Jacob Copeland. He was a UDFA receiver I certainly had some hopes for when they added A lot him. of people liked him. Everyone, yeah. I mean, they, they spent a lot of time with him at Maryland's Pro Day. Like They had interest in him throughout the entire pre-draft process, and then they were ecstatic to sign him. Obviously, he was disappointing. I mean, it's only been a week of training camp, and they already feel like they've seen enough. That speaks volumes um, of what it's been like. And I will say, you felt like if you've been following all the training camp reports, the practice reports daily, you've heard about almost every UDFA receiver except him. right? Like, I think yeah. Trayshawn Harrison out of Oregon State's probably gotten the most love for what he's done at practice. I've heard a little about Gavin Holmes. I think it's the UDFA receiver out of Baylor. And you've also heard a little about Kiaris Jackson, the UDFA receiver out of Georgia. I didn't hear anything about Copeland this entire time, right? And you've heard about, of course, second-year receiver Reggie Roberson Jr., right, who, by the way, I just published a great interview with over at broadwaysportsmedia.com, and he had a bunch of touchdown catches the other day in practice. So I was really happy for him. That's great to see. So you've heard about all these, you know, UDFA receivers or second-year UDFAs. You didn't hear anything about Jacob Copeland. Writing was on the wall. They've already cut him. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's it's a we talked about this a lot already. It's a crowded back end of that wide receiver room, you know, for these guys fighting for not that many spots, a lot of guys in the mix. So I guess they felt like he wasn't adding enough. You got like eight guys in all honesty fighting for one spot, in my opinion. Depending on it. Yeah, I guess that's probably accurate unless one or two of these guys like really shows out and And they decide to keep seven instead of six. Yeah, because if they keep six. It's that sixth spot, which, I mean, is Colin Dowell the in-house favorite just because he got drafted, but it was like a seventh-round pick. It's essentially a UDFA. Haven't heard a lot of great things so far, right, coming out of practice on him. You've got Colin Dowell. You've got Racy McMath. You've got Mason Kinsey. And you've got the other five guys I just mentioned. So it's literally like seven or eight guys competing for what I assume is going to be one spot. Tim Kelly did say on Tuesday that they were not going to have a predetermined number of receivers that they were looking to no, keep. No, of they course would not. Keep you know as many as they wanted based on how they perform. So that's what they you might expect. keep seven. They might keep five. They yeah. might keep six. They might keep. It'll be between five right. and seven. I feel good <laughs> guaranteeing that. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the last bit of news here, which is sort of news, sort of training camp updates. The kick and punt returner competition. We have some names to talk about. You know, new kickoff rules with are going to like favor touchbacks and stuff. So who knows how important this will end up being. But um, Craig Ackerman said on Tuesday that Tajay Spears, Hassan Haskins, Julius Chestnut and others have been doing kick returns while Kyle Phillips, Mason Kinsey, and others have been doing punt returns. So right off the bat, Hassan Haskins being mentioned here, I just like get uncomfortable now every time we have to talk about Hassan Haskins because I feel like, you know, Vrabel and and Haskins were both asked about this situation last week, and Vrabel said, like, we're not going to comment on that. We're going to let the legal process play out and let all the facts come out before anything happens there. And I think even Rand Carthon was asked about that too during his press conference last week. 
which naturally, you know, good job by the Nashville media bringing, you know, getting asking those questions because they're tough questions to answer. And it's a sensitive topic here with his domestic violence charge that's, that's you know, been brought against him. Anyway, all that to say, Tajay Spears, Julius Chestnut look like the favorites to do uh, be the kick returner. Although apparently Kyle Phillips has been in the mix on both units as a returner. How important is this position even to the team's success anyway? But that's well, what we're it, learning. <laughs> it's obviously a lot less important since the new rule, as you said, like touchback is the way to go, right? It's unfortunate, but that's what the league has made it. You take the touchback every time you can and you take the ball to the 25 yard line. Like that's essentially what you should be doing unless you feel like you have a true difference maker back there. And I honestly, I'm not sure the Titans have a difference maker back there. I don't think they do. And right. honestly, like Hassan Hassan did it a lot last year, if I recall correctly. And he was like, okay, average at best. Julius Chestnut, this is probably his best chance to make the team, you know, honestly, yeah. right? Is if he if he wins that job and they think it's a valuable enough job to keep him around as a fourth running back, then that's going to be his chance. Kyle Phillips, I, we've never seen him do it, right? I don't know. Tajay Spears sounds like he would be the best one because I mean, profile wise, because he's the most elusive, the most electric. But in all honesty, we I think I've seen in the past that doesn't always translate to kickoff returns, right? Like I can't remember who now is bothering me, but I think there's been a couple of guys that I expected to be way better at it, right? Based yeah. on how electric and elusive they are with the ball in their hands in in-game situations. So it's hard to project. I've got to see him do it, but naturally the athletic profile would insinuate he is the best bet to do it. I don't get excited about the thought of Hassan Haskins returning kicks or Julius Chestnut returning kicks. On the topic of Haskins, I don't want to comment on it much either, but I will say, I'm operating under the thought process right now that uh, they're obviously not going to cut him quickly in all honesty, yeah, right? Like if they were fair. going to, they would have done it already. So I think right now we've just got to operate under the assumption that he does have a chance to make a team in all honesty. And you and I don't agree with that, but uh, I, I, I've got to cover the team, right? Essentially we've got yeah. to cover the team. So it does sound like, it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to cut him. At least it's not the foregone conclusion that you and I maybe thought it was right when the news first came out. So we'll continue analyzing his, you know, chances based on how he performs in the preseason returns kicks as obviously we continue following the ongoing legal situation. Uh, One guy you didn't mention at punt returner. I thought Reggie Roberson was mentioned Mm. in one of the comments. And I, I think it was at punt returner. That's interesting because, it obviously directly correlates back to the conversation we just had at receiver, where if they do keep six or seven, whatever, that last spot or that those last two spots is probably going to have to be someone that can play special teams, right? So if Reggie Roberson Jr. continues showing out at practice like he did the other day, and I thought he looked pretty damn good based on the clips and reports that we saw and received, and he also proves he can play special teams and return kicks and or punts, that's going to increase his chances. Yeah, well said there, and I think that's definitely true. So. We'll keep an eye on that competition. I think, you know, once preseason starts and we get to see what these guys look like doing it in a game situation, especially when it comes to like, can you catch the punt safely without muffing it, which obviously was an issue for Kyle Phillips last year, even though he did have a couple electric returns back there in that position last season. He also had a couple of muffed punts that are, you know, that can change the whole course of a game. So it was a home run or a strikeout, right? Every time you're, you're a baseball guy. Now it was a home run or strikeout. Every time he stepped to the plate, he's a power hitter, baby. Yeah, right. Um, which I think I'd, I'd take the uh, the safe single. Give me the the Luisa Rise <laughs> in this situation versus uh, you know the the power strikeout combo. All right, that's gonna do it for part one of this training camp update podcast covering the news portion. Again, we are gonna do a part two 
looking at stock up and stock down in training camp so far, names that have risen and fallen. That'll be coming out tomorrow. Um, but that's it for this episode. Make sure you're following Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Make sure you're following me at Titans Film Room. I called it Twitter again. I, I talked about this last week with Mike. Is it Twitter? Is it X? I don't care. I'm calling always, it Twitter. It'll always be Twitter. We're calling it Twitter. You know, it's not a retweet anymore. It's a repost. I saw. I just saw that like half an hour ago. Get out of here. That's still a retweet in my brain. It's still Twitter in my brain. That's what it's going to be. And again, as I said off the top, please, please. We are literally begging you to go to our YouTube page and subscribe and leave a comment. Leave like 20 comments. And while you're watching the video, open up the playlist on the right panel and click on our top episode and just let the playlist play all the way through. You don't even need to watch. Just like let it play. Leave the room. It's fine. We're just going to rack up the the views. That's all we care about right now. No, just kidding. But seriously, thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the YouTube channel because we have grown so much in just a few short weeks. But hey, I know there's a ton of you that haven't because I see the numbers. I see how many podcast downloads we're doing and I see how many YouTube subscribers we have. So I know that there are hundreds of you that have not subscribed to the YouTube channel yet. So if you could, we'd really appreciate it. Um, All right. Again, that is it. We'll be back very, very, very soon for a part two episode looking at stock up, stock down. So until then, y'all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway sports media production.